Welcome to the Social Propertypreneur Podcast. And here is your host, social media queen, property investor, and entrepreneur, Laura Muse. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Social Propertypreneur Podcast live. With today, I've got the amazing Rich Little. Hello, hello, and good afternoon. How are you doing? Good, thanks for you. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, very well indeed. The moustache is gone. I know. I know a lot of people have been shocked by it. You know, I took yeah. it I've been cultivating that now for, of course, since September last year. And I just thought, you know, it's time, it's time to go. So off she came. I think it's taken <laughs> off me. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for giving up your time today. Um, today, we're just going to do a bit of a Q&A, just talking about you. Um, obviously, what you're doing, you've done some amazing things in the past and you've got some fantastic plans for the future. So really just giving people a real good deep dive into who Rich Little is, I suppose. <laughs> well, you know, I've, got, I've gone for Joe Exotic today, so <laughs> those, of, those who know, know. <laughs> but yeah, if you just don't mind starting off, telling us a little bit about you, your background, what led you into property full-time. Yeah, okay, so what led me into full-time? So um, where do I start? I am kind of, uh, so basically I've been in property for kind of 15 years. I, I've only recently gone full-time so I would say since March this year so that's my full-time transition from March prior to that for the previous 21 years I was a pilot in the military so I was a helicopter pilot in the navy um, and then I transferred from commando helicopter force uh, in the navy to fly fast jets and then I went from the navy flying fast jets to the air force so my predominant career has been military and around flying so a very very busy busy thing very different of, to property. <laughs> very different to property for sure. But kind of 15 years ago, like roll back to 2003, I was um, I was deployed to Iraq. So Iraq War, the the second Iraq War was just kicking off, um, and I was just joined this squadron. Just bought a house in the local village in, in Somerset, where the airbase was, in a little village called Ilchester. And I got this call: right, we are off to war. So I boarded this ship, HMS Ocean, and off we sailed, literally without open-ended nobody knew how long we'd be away that was it off we sailed um and sailed from Southampton all the way around to Iraq and while I was away I sort of made a few phone calls decided to rent my house out I just bought it just had it redecorated and refurbished and it was my house no intention of renting it out or anything like that and I just thought you know it's going to sit there empty and I have no idea when I'm going to be back and that was it in moved some tenants um and I still own that house now and if I'm brutally honest, that tenant only left about three years ago. So that, oh, he wow. for that entire <laughs> period of time. And he was brilliant. So he he departed, he left. But anyway, that gave me the taste because when I came back from Iraq, I thought, you know what, I quite like having this extra 300 quid a month in my in my pocket. And that was the spark. So that's where it all started. And I started just doing property on the side. So all along, I was still um, in, a, in a very busy military career. Uh, but on the side of that, I was buying the odd property here and there. And I moved up to Scotland um, and started doing HMOs in Glasgow. So I just saw, and HMOs back then were not what HMOs are now. They are, you know, literally, if I had a three-bedroom flat in Glasgow, I would have had about 21 people in that and thought nothing about <laughs> it. Because that was the done thing. That was the norm in the West End of Glasgow, which is where all the students hung out. So, but that was my, that was then my, my uh, introduction to HMOs built quite a, a decent HMO portfolio in Glasgow while I was based up in Prestwick um, uh, and then kind of moved on to, 
you know, and moved around the country. So everywhere I went, I kind of built up a little property. portfolio. <laughs> so when people say, you know, invest on your doorstep, I did that. Don't get me wrong. But then I moved away. And <laughs> that then forced me into kind of making that efficient so I could keep it at arm's length. Um, so that that ticked over, ticked over. And I loved it. And actually, my passion wasn't I was never doing it to create this huge passive income. To be honest, I was doing it because I just enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the, 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 the helping people, the solving the problems. And some of the problems, I know you sent me a few, through a few questions. I've got kind of one, one or two little examples, which we'll talk about later, of that it was actually the solving of the problem that I was passionate about. And that's what used to drive me on. And it wasn't until really I, I saw last year, I thought, I'm leaving the military. You know, that's me. We've got a, we have a well-trodden path from pilots in the military into kind of commercial aviation, your likes of British Airways, Virgin, Emirates. And I saw my friends who'd done that and they were just, they were bored. They were bored. It's a, on paper, it's a very well-paid job. It's a really good lifestyle, but you are, planes now are so automated. All you are is you're, you're just a, a systems manager. You're just managing a computer. Um, so you fly over the, you literally take off, fly over the Atlantic and you do nothing for eight hours but monitor these systems. And I just thought, I can't do that. You know, I'm 40, just gone, well, I was 40, 43 this year, so I would have been 42. I thought, I can't do that for, you know, God knows how long. Um, and that was it. Decided, let's hang my hat up and let's do property full time. And that was kind of, decision was made kind of October last year. I knew I was leaving in March and hence that was where Blue Oak was, was kind of, accelerated from <laughs> and I tell you what my god I'm pleased I didn't follow that standard route because look at the aviation industry now you oh, know gosh, my yeah. friends you know you know hopefully that'll pick back up and they'll have work but again had I put all of those eggs in that basket don't get me wrong I'd have had the property portfolio but I would have just had nothing to focus on but now my percent focus is in in growing the blue oak empire so I think that's a little bit about me what? yeah no, definitely <laughs> <laughs> um so Oh, was it your time to, I don't want to say, retire from, from is that what, you, why you yeah. left or it, it a choice or? It's, it's an interesting one because when you, when I joined um, as, as a pilot, you only used to serve six, it was 16 years and then oh. you used to get a, a pension from that day onwards for the rest of your life. And I remember when I, and I would have been 38 at that point. And I remember it was creeping up to that point of 38 and I still loved it. You know, I still loved what I was doing. I loved the military. I had no intention of, as I say, going into property or anything like that. That was ticking along on the side. And I was still, I was quite content. So at 38, when I was 38 years old, that was 16 years in, I took an extension of service for five years. So um, at that point, so that was my extension of service, which was coming up for renewal. And last year, I was offered a further extension for that. So it was at that point, a, a very good friend of mine, um, a guy who's probably known in the property circles, Mark Stokes, um, we, were, we were chatting over a development and he said to me, he said, look, if you always have that there, that they are going to offer you this, this next five years, next five years, you, you're never going to do anything new. You may, you know, in, he could see I was enjoying it less and less throughout that five years. But again, I just saw, God, it's easy. It's all right. I'm running the property on the side. I could still pull in that really good income from the military. And he said, look, commit 100%, cut the ties, tell them you're not going to extend, cut that tie so you haven't got the plan B, the old plan B adage, you know, which I believe 100% in. And um, it was after a conversation like that, I wrote a letter saying um, to the military saying I won't extend my service. So that was my natural retirement. But they, as I said, it offered me five more years. And it was interesting. As soon as I wrote that, it was as if a complete new focus took over me. It was as if that plan B had gone. 
So my plan now was to make Blue Oak a massive success because I'd cut the tie with the military. I'd written that email to say, I will not be extending service. I am leaving. So yeah, that was just the end of my time. I retired. I'm a pensioner. So I now get a pension <laughs> from them, which is ridiculous. So on a, <laughs> but no, it is, yeah. I'm, a, on a, I'm 43 and I get a pension. Don't get me wrong. It's not enough to live on, but it is still a comedy affair when you uh, when you say you're picking up your pension. Each <laughs> So, Rich, do you mind telling us a bit more about Blue Oak? Obviously, why did you decide to set up your own property company and do what you're doing? Obviously, I know kind of yeah. a bit of a background on it, but for people who don't, why yeah. it's different, um, yeah. what your values are, what you're aspiring to do. Yeah. Uh, can you share that with us? Absolutely. So, uh, so Blue Oak, for those who obviously don't know, if you if you don't know, then get yourself over to the Blue Where Oak. Where have you been? <laughs> yeah, where have you been? <laughs> And it, 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 it basically, you know, the true, true history behind it was I was sat on a train and I was sat opposite Paul Smith. So um, and that was that was the start of our of our piece. Now, Paul reached out to me on social media about um, about a property he had in Sunderland, an HMO that he bought. Paul had been through a lot of property education um, and he had this property in Sunderland. We were then traveling. We so happened to be on this same train and we sat opposite one another and we just chatted through this. And I realized that. The, the education and the mentor he had at that time had missed a few fundamental things. So I jumped off the train in York, which is where I live, and he carried on to Newcastle. And I went, uh, I rang him up, I said, look, I'll come and spend a day with you. Let's tidy this up. So I went and spent a day with Paul, and we tidied up that affair. But actually, we got on. You know, we, we, we yeah. shared a vision, we shared a passion. There was somebody who was just starting out in their property career, but had more drive and a work ethic, you know, which was, you know, which was, you could not fault it. And he wanted to make it succeed. And there was I, who was just leaving the military. The property experience was was fairly, you know, fairly decent. And it was it was kind of we just had a, a natural synergy. But what I was more disappointed with was why there were so many fundamental things missing that that he'd gone through this education process. So these fundamentals, which I would have said were basics, had been missed. Now. Um, and that was really the form of why don't we just try and put something together? Let's work together. So I came out and I said, look, Paul, why don't we just work together? Let's do something now. You've got the work ethic. I will help you. Let's build something together. We had no vision of what that was going to be. Paul had ideas about potentially offering services and things like that, but we never, ever set into Blue Oak to be education. It was simply about offering value and trying to plug these holes, which we felt a lot of people had in their, in their knowledge. So on the back of that, Blue Oak Property Network was formed uh, on the back of on, on the basis of three ethics, which were open, honest and ethical. And we just wanted to offer everything, offer as much as we could help support to anybody who was struggling to get moving in this industry. Um, and that was where it came from. We decided to do uh, monthly events, which were technically free. We covered the day rate and that's all we ever did. And we would offer huge value to to that full day. No upselling, no nothing, just value. I pulled in a lot of contacts that I had to then come and deliver. So we, you know, we had the likes of Mark Stokes doing commercial and residential conversions where, you know, people would pay a lot of money to go on a course of his. He was coming to deliver that free of charge for us. We had, you know, Rick Gannon at our, our, um, at our uh, February event doing HMOs. We have all sorts of people. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to build a community. And I feel that's what Blue Oak is. It's a true, true community where we can offer and share values. And it's funny, what, one of the funniest things I find about the whole Blue Oak thing is a lot of people say, I love the name. I love it how you've got this Blue Oak and, you know, it's born from an acorn and you're building this tree and this 
this group around you into a nice oak. I love the, you know, the, the, the vision behind that name. Well, actually, the truth behind that name was when, when Paul sat in a, a property education course and decided, right, I'm going to make a property, uh, start a property business. He Googled um, uh, property real estate names, and there was a successful real estate company in America called Black Oak. And he thought, mm, well, my favorite color is blue. They're successful in America called Black Oak. We'll be Blue Oak. And that was where the name came from. Yet some people come out and romanticize this house. You know, from the acorn came this tree and we can see where you're blossoming. But that's where Blue Oak is now. So we're offering all of this value. We've got huge vision, visions for the future into different sectors from, from children's nurseries to supported living uh, to general uh, portfolio growth and the education arm, which will be, will, you know, which is already going, offering that huge value uh, and services which are out there. So we've got massive visions my vision for Blue Orcus is a brand, uh, and that brand can transcend many industries. And as I say, we've just started also Peak Performance by Blue Oak, yeah. uh, designed to, you know, uh, there's a concept called marginal gains, where if you improve every sector in every area of your life by 1%, a marginal gain, the collective change on your entire life will be, uh, will be astronomical. So that's a philosophy, you know, uh, called marginal gains and peak performance. So we've started Peak Performance by Blue Oak, uh, and the idea behind that is, Whatever industry you're in, it doesn't have to be property, whatever business you're in, you can join us on AP Performance and we will aim to improve your life through discipline, habits, routines, you know, all of that thing, money management, a healthy attitude towards money and actually grow you as a person. So that is Blue Oak. <laughs> and you also do Expedition. Yeah, so Expedition is, so again, as I said, we decided initially we never wanted to be a property company. Uh, I feel that. The, the, the property company model is not, not what I want to be involved in. But we had umpteen requests to kind of get involved with us. And initially, we were just batting them off because we just wanted to do uh, our, our monthly free events. And if you haven't been to a monthly free event, as soon as this is all over, we're doing, month, you know, we're doing as many webinars and online presence as we can at the moment to try and keep that, that momentum and keep yeah. that, that spark alive. But as soon as this is all over, we've got some huge plans for some the monthly events again. Now, Expedition came about because we thought Paul had huge gaps in his knowledge. So he had come from a place where he'd seen a lot of the masterminds, the education, that sort of thing. We had a lot of people asking to for us to do that to them, to mentor them and mastermind them, which we didn't want to do. But then we came up with a product called Expedition. Again, just wanted to disrupt it, gave it another name because you come on an expedition with us. And at the end of that, you will reach your summit. And that's the kind of the vision beyond it. And it is a very small, intimate mastermind where we provide services above and beyond what anybody else would, which you know includes management of your online media presence. So through Facebook advertising, through mentoring, through events, through we have additional courses. So again, the likes of Mark Stokes comes in and delivers his full commercial residential course as part of Expedition, which alone would cost you, you know, half thousand pounds if you went to do. We have project management courses come in. Um, we have on-site visits. So all of that, we basically looked at how can we offer an unbelievable thing that will get you from nothing to guaranteed success at the end. Um, and that's it, 12 people. We're currently halfway through troop one. Uh, which is the first intake we're running troop two shortly and then we're going to run troop three and if i'm honest we probably will stop at troop three yeah because i think the next we are property investors at heart and i think the next 18 months to two years we're going to shift our focus from that back into 
hardcore investing. So I think the opportunities that are going to present themselves over the next two years are opportunities that will never, ever be presented again. Well, that's one of my, my later questions. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, I know you're really passionate about helping other people. There's a lot of people at the moment. Um, I'm sure you've seen it either. It's kind of fight or flight mode. Um, there are a lot of people retreating. There's a lot of people that have stepped up the game. What do you think are the fundamentals of people are in property? Maybe they're new to it. Maybe they've been in it quite a while, but are not educated. Um, what are the fundamental things you feel investors should know and have in their toolbox, especially at this time? And if they don't know, what they need to go find out? Right. So I, I talk. I use. I say people should be aware. Okay. Now I use the word awareness a lot, and. And I think awareness right now with what's going on in the, in the world, the, the economic world is, is important. So what I mean by awareness is, uh, you know, when you're in property, whether you're just starting out or whether you are an experienced property investor, you need to have a direction. You need to have a goal. You need to have, and I would say, I would, it's important that you have a goal, know where you're going with this whole thing. And you need to have a strategy that at that moment in time, you're implementing. And whatever that may be at that moment in time, that's what you need to implement. Don't be, don't be attracted by these shiny pennies left and right. And that's what I find happens. The amount of people who I know who've been in property and they say, I've been in property for 18 months or 24 months. And they've, they've over-educated themselves because what happens is they'll start down one avenue, right? I'm going to learn about HMOs and how I can make HMOs successful. And all of a sudden they read on social media, somebody's, had a two thousand pound booking for their SA unit, so then all of a sudden they think, "Holy crap, I want to do SA." So then I did this. I did exactly the same thing. I'm like, "I want this one." Running over here, chasing that, and then they get there, they, they learn about SA, and they realise, "Oh, right, okay." And then all of a sudden, a social media post comes up about somebody's done a development, and you're like, "Oh, oh," and start running over there. So you you're bouncing backwards and forwards from these shiny pennies, and you're almost you you you're base level educating yourself in every one, but you're never truly understanding what to a degree that you can do it. But you've got to you've got to, and then all of a sudden you find yourselves eighteen months, two years in, having a base level knowledge of each and every one of them, but not enough knowledge to implement it well. Yeah. So what I say to people is be aware of the shiny penny. So when you are going down HMOs and you see somebody doing uh, an, uh, an essay over here, be aware what essay is. Be aware how it exists, what it is but keep it in the peripheries and keep focused on your, your primary task. Achieve and fulfill that primary one, that HMO in this example. And then at that point, when you've done that, then potentially have a little look over here at the SA model. So I think what, what I say there is be aware. Don't chase the shiny penny, but be aware it exists. Yeah, so that's something I always say. And that, that goes across the spectrum. Everybody, if they were aware, uh, understood that, would... Um, would What's up, George? Bless him. Do you want to come quickly and say hello? Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. It's not my little girl banging on the window, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> He's out where he goes. Contract uh, <laughs> out. Um, so, yeah, awareness wherever you are, I think, is, is something that everybody can learn from. Um, and awareness of what's going on in the market right now to so the property market as a whole. So where we are, we're all sat in lockdown. You know, the government bankrolling everything at the moment in society and i think where we are you know property market is still quite i would say stable and i think the trouble is i think a lot of people might take a little bit of false impression from that where we are at the moment yeah. so what I, what i mean by that is i think you know conveyance conveyancing has stopped you know the scottish land registry's uh, hung up there you know they've locked the door the english land registry's pretty much stopped so 
all those transactions have stopped. Um, so I used an analogy on a webinar I did the other week. It's, it's like a Coke bottle. So it's a Coke bottle with a cap on at the minute, which has been shaken up. And I think when we get out, it's going to be like taking that, that cap off. And you're going to have a massive rush of everybody buying, everybody jumping on everything that they can. And I think it's probably going to give a false impression that the market's re-rising. Yeah. I think once unemployment kicks in, because unemployment will obviously be a factor in this, I do think we'll start seeing a downturn. I talk a lot about the economic cycles, um, which I won't do now. But what I'm saying is that awareness is key. Yeah. And I think coming out with this, one bit of advice I'd give everybody is be pa- sit on your hands, okay, and be patient. Do the analysis, look at what's going on, be aware of what's going on in the market, but potentially sit on your hands. You're always better analyze the deal and watch what's going on in your market. You're better off, and that's something I always say is, you are far, far better off being out of a deal and wishing you were in it, so missing an opportunity, so you're out of a deal wishing you were in it, than in a deal wishing you were out of it, okay? And I think some people will jump into deals following this because they think, because they think, oh, God, I've got to get moving. I've got to get moving. I've been sat on my hands for the past three months. They'll grab the first thing that comes their way. They'll buy this deal, which they haven't analyzed properly. They haven't done the right due diligence on. And I think some of them will definitely turn into turkeys, you know, and they'll wish they were then out of those deals. From people right at the beginning, use the free education, guys. Um, you know, anybody who's just starting out, educate yourself for free. Um, a lot of YouTube stuff, get on Blue Oak and use that. But the key really for me is not necessarily the property education. It's about self-education, knowing what you want as a person, deciding whether you can be an entrepreneur. Do I even want to be an entrepreneur? Or is the only reason I'm looking at property is because I've been blinded by this, again, social media, potential big profits at the back end. Don't believe everything you really read on social media. We all like property. It does give us good returns and it is a very uh, profitable model. But if you're not passionate about property, if you're not passionate about being an entrepreneur or working for yourself and all of the rubbish that comes with that, you will never, ever succeed in this, in this field. So look at yourself first would be my advice. Look at yourself. Do a bit of self-development. Look at the route. And again, goes back to peak performance, which I said there, because I feel a lot of people could improve themselves. And if you as a person are firing on all four cylinders and really at the top of your game, you will make whatever strategy you go into a success. If you as a person are not on peak performance and are, you know, improved yourself, you can educate yourself to the nth degree in any one of these strategies, but you'll never ever make it work if you haven't got it, if you haven't worked on yourself first. Cool. <laughs> um, do you mind telling me a little bit about your deals that you've done? Some ones that, well, one or two that maybe really stand out, whether it's for the good, the bad, or the ugly. Well, well I'll talk about one. Um, I'll talk about big HMO I did. Um, and I think, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was, um, it was kind of, it's had its flaws along the way, but it's had a very, very good success at the back end. So it was a property that I viewed in, in North Yorkshire, in, in a place called Hull. Okay. Sunny old oh, Hull. Went to university in Hull. Did you? I did, yeah. Oh, well, there you are. So yeah, top of Newlands Avenue there, where the, where the university is, not far away. <laughs> so, uh, property in Hull. It was an old derelict printing works. So it was a, um, and I said, this still stands as my probably most, uh, my most, what would, what would the word be? My kind of best deal, financially best deal. That's yeah. what I want to say about it. So it was all printing works that I viewed, um, go probably about a year or so. It was a derelict, pretty much derelict building, uh, viewed it, 
uh, and made an offer to the to the owner at that point. Nothing came of that, and it kind of just went on the back burners. Now, this building was a three-story building, uh, no floors inside. It put a new roof on it, and he owned the building next door, which the building next door was a, a, a shop, a shop unit, and then three flats above it. A one flat on the ground floor behind the shop, and then two flats on the other two floors. So anything, nothing came of this um, this this deal. Now, day job kicked in, and I went to Syria. Okay, so I was then flying um, flying jets over Syria as part of what was called Operation Shader, which was the British effort in northern Iraq. So we were basically bombing on a daily basis into Syria and northern Iraq, and I got a call saying, "Right, Richard, um, situation's changed." I'm quite ill. It transpired that the chap, um, the chap had just been diagnosed with cancer, and he was like, "Right, I'm going to offload off, uh, you know, separate. I just need to offload now, spend time with my family. Um, do you want it?" So, we used to, we used to, with a satellite phone, so no mobiles, no nothing, with a sat phone, which is what we had to talk home on. I negotiated then this deal because what had changed from my previous offer to now is he put planning permission on it, so he was trying to bolster the yeah. price. I basically put planning permission on it for three townhouses. Now, without a picture, I can't really show you, but this was this this building was fronting a main road. And I said, look, come on. You put town townhouses off of families, okay? So you're planning you're not going to put families in a property like that. So to me, your planning permission is worthless. So he kind of accepted that. We agreed a price, 110,000 is what I ended up paying. All agreed over a sat phone from Syria. <laughs> So I bought this pro this deal, went into legals. Um, we didn't complete on it before I got home before it was completed, but it was fully in legals. Um, we didn't even we exchanged and completed on the same day when we when I got home, but the process was was done. I whacked it in for planning for a 16-bed HMO. The reason I did that, all on sweet HMO. The reason I did that is this building fronts a, a road in Hull, um, and directly on the other side of that road was the new Siemens facility where they were gonna build all of the new wind turbines. And all I thought was, right, contractors, there's not enough short-term accommodation here. That's going to be my demographic who I'm, I'm aiming this at. And made some contacts within the uh, the, the Siemens um, housing area, well, housing department there as well. Anyway, the 16-bed was thrown back at me by the, the council, not approved. And they didn't approve it because it was lack of cycle stowage. I couldn't provide enough bike stowage for the 16-bed HMO. We ended up getting it passed at 14, so 14 bed all on sweet HMO. And that was it. We started building this thing out. So we built this thing out. Um, got it numbers. It was just over about £200,000 for the build. As I said, there was nothing inside, no floors, no nothing. So it was a full internal. Uh, yeah. Um, and if I'm honest, I think it was a blessing in disguise that the 16 wasn't passed because it meant that the, the living areas were basically put majority of that space back into the living areas. So it really had two fantastic large living areas. And that was it. Off, out it popped. 16-bed HMO. Sorry, 14-bed HMO. <laughs> uh, I immediately got that on a contract with Siemens. So I'd already been fluffing that throughout this process. We had it revalued at Shawbrook with Shawbrook. Uh, at the time, they gave me a bricks and mortar valuation because I didn't have the, the lease signed. So we ended up, I ended up leaving a little bit of money in that deal. But I got a contract signed with Siemens. Now, the difference being is Siemens took that on a lease. And a going rate for a room in that part of town was around about 100 to 105 per week, per room per week. I would have probably got around 120 pounds per room per week because it was brand new, high standard, nice new furnishings. Uh, and Siemens took that 
off me the entire building at £45 per room per night. Okay. So as you can see, it was an astronomical uplift um, in that. So firstly, for that period of time, I was receiving a massive, massive income from that. The second point there is the building was a commercial building, which I turned to residential. And at the end of this whole thing, because they took that on a lease, okay, um, so it, be, it fell into kind of service rooms, i.e. SA. So what did I do? I didn't turn it into C3 residential. I kept it as a, uh, as a commercial building, which meant I could get it on business rates and not council tax, which also meant because it was under 50,000 rateable value, I got 100% rate relief. So not only did I, I then saved... You know, that would have been the best. I think the, the council tax bill was the best part, two and a half thousand due to the size of the building. Saved myself two and a half thousand pounds per year. Um, and I say that to this day stands as probably still my most profitable deal. And that's you just still have, it. still have it. It's just gone on another lease with another company. Um, yeah. I'm very I'm a huge fan of, of leases. And that's something I talk a lot about. And um, that's when I mentioned about the social housing and the social housing and assisted living. I'm very, I, instead of managing a 14 bed HMO and going through the, you know, the yeah. these for buildings, I'm very keen. I will always try and get an assisted living provider or a social housing provider to take that entire building off me on a, on an FRI, a fully repairing and insuring lease. And at that point it is true passive income. Yeah. You know, that is true. So at the moment that's out on a, uh, on an FRI lease. So it's no longer with Siemens, it's with another company, but it's on an FRI lease, so a fully repairing and insuring lease. They cover all of the bills. Um, I don't care who's in those rooms. So if they have, if that company have five voids, I don't care because my lease is done and dusted. I pay no management fees, I pay no bills, I pay no council tax, and I simply get one lump sum on the first of every month from them. So an FRI lease on HMOs or any properties using supported, the supported living model uh, and the assisted living model is a, is a fantastic, fantastic thing. It's not a strategy. Those people who are trying to sell that as a strategy, get out. <laughs> it's not a strategy, okay? It's just another exit. The strategy is still, it's an HMO, it's a buy-to-let, it's a physical, the property is the strategy. The assisted living lease or the social housing lease is an exit, okay? So it's another exit that you could potentially have. Did you learn? Did you did you learn that yourself, or did you get that from someone else? Or to be honest, it is just it was kind of born out of experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'll, well, I'll tell you kind of how it came about. It, like I mentioned at the beginning, of this it was born out of me wanting to solve a problem, to rinse yeah. as much as I could out of a deal, and that kind of so all of a sudden that one was my first on a lease, and all of a sudden I then learned actually the problem here. What's the problem with HMOs in, in small units is the voids, you're always, you know, you've got one and 10 in, you may get them to stay, but ultimately your problem is I'm going to have to fill it again. I'm going to have to fill it again. How can I remove that problem? Right, let's look at a lease issue. So it was actually, so my passion became solving problems. And, you know, I could talk about another deal I did in, in again, Hull, which was not weed. Um, have you got, do you, want, do you want me to do this one? This is quite an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, 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 go for it, yeah. The, um, let's have a quick care. Uh... <laughs> Amy's just brought me a drink in that's, Oh, it's, clearly, it's clearly a mojito. It's gone <laughs> half two in the afternoon. Um, problems, okay? So northern, the northern, the northern areas where both you and I, Laura, kind of operate are are, are um, littered with knotweed, right? So <laughs> those those southerners who may be listening will probably never have come across this before. 
and it's simply a plant. Um, it is a weed, obviously, as it says. It was came in from Australia many years ago, and it's a very, very invasive plant. And it's it can grow. Um, God, I can't remember the stats. It's something like a meter a day, so it can yeah, grow. It is, it is, yeah. We just recently had a survey done. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, and the root structure can actually damage foundations and actually can move the structural integrity of a building. So if knotweed is found within, it used to be 10 meters when I did this building, but it's now seven, I believe, it's within seven meters of the boundary of a building, then that building is technically uh, valued at zero because of the presence of the knotweed. So let's roll back a number of years um, when people, I was, I went to a, um, a probate uh, property, probate property, a block of seven one bedroom flats. Again, I still own this now. I still own the, the, this block of flats. And again, it's out on a lease. So the entire block of flats is on a lease to a different care provider. Hands-free, not my problem. They've got it for the next two years. So this problem is Brogger Fats. Seven one-bed uh, flats was a probate sale. So it went on uh, with an agent as a corporate sale, okay, which you'll, some of you will probably heard about corporate sales where, and they put it on as a guide of £100,000. Now, it didn't take me long due diligence-wise to realise that the bloke had paid 350000 a few years later. So I thought, well, obviously, I'm going to go and have a little look. But unbeknown to me, obviously, the agent had put that guide on just to get everybody in the door. They had two block float viewings for that property. And I turned up and it was, it, I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, there were, it was like coaches pulling up outside when they're like offloading 50 odd people to go and have a little look around these seven flats. <laughs> so I walked in there and there were like builders measuring up. There were, you know, measuring doors, look, you know, like fully going into schemes of work about what they were doing. And I just kind of walked around in my, because I am no, my passion is not in refurbs. You know, that is, I have a good team of people, you know, who would do that for me. So my, my knowledge of refurbs is poor, but I've got a very, very good team. My skills would lie in that, the analysis and as I say, the solving of the problems. So I say, these builders are measuring up, they're, they're working out, right, how many doors do we need in here? It's going to cost me this. And I could hear them all chattering where I was walking around almost like, you know, like kicking the tires, being like, yeah. Yeah, this seems yeah, yeah, this looks good, you know, in a in a proper amateurish fashion. What I did realize, I was like, you know, I'm not even going to bother because it's just not even worth my time pursuing this any further. Roll on five days. There was an email sent round by Browns, who was the um, uh, the agent, saying uh, we've now discovered because it's a legal requirement. If not, we'd ever found on a property that the agent has to disclose it to all all prospective people. So I got an email saying. And uh, knotweed has been found uh, within within 10 minutes of the boundary of that property, just to make you all aware. Um, and I thought, oh, interesting. So I then delved into knotweed. And all of a sudden, for the next few days or few weeks, and I was based in, where was I based? North Wales. So I was flying, again, day job. I was flying, satisfied myself on that. But what I had done is I'd satisfied myself on knotweed. So I'd become an expert at that time in knotweed. Now, when I did this, I discovered that, there was only one company. So this is how long ago, a number of years. There's a lot of companies now deal with knotweed. There was one company in Manchester called Weed Tech at the time. And they would come and treat the knotweed. And when a, a treatment plan was put on the property, okay, even though the weed was still there, you can't just go and cut this thing down. What people used to do was cut knotweed down, fill the stems up with diesel, and that would kill the ground, but only temporarily. But as soon as that treatment plan was put on that, on that weed, okay, You've got a certificate to say it's been treated. It'll still be there for a number of years and they'll have to continue that treatment. But with that certificate, you could then get the full valuation on the property. So I knew this, right? So that was my, 
So I then threw another offer in on this building and uh, we did a bit of tuning and froing and I ended up paying £117,000 for that building. So I paid £117,000 for that block of flats. It had to be bridged in, okay? So I used a combination of my own funds and a bridge. Shawbrook uh, bridged it in for me. So I paid one seventeen on this on day one. The very next day, Weed Tech came from Manchester and treated that weed in the garden, and I got a bit of paper, and I sent that to Shawbrook Bank. And Shawbrook Bank sent another valuer out, and it was valued at £350,000. Oh, my God, that's insane. So by solving the problem, solving that problem of not weed, I just, what, what to do, added the best part of you know, 50 grand of equity to a property. Yeah. Well, that's why it's so important to understand how you can help other people. Why you should have different tools in your toolbox to help solve them types of issues yeah. instead of just looking at actually, well, what is this going to return me? And, and, I think that's, and that's exactly it. And I think that's a perfect example because, you know, if I look at the amount of people who viewed that property that day, every single one of them ran away. They ran away because of a problem. Okay. And because that was a corporate sale, there was no debt on the property. It was a corporate sale. They were selling it. They were going to take whatever the bids were. Um, every single person ran away from that. I dare bet, um, you know, had every, had that weed not been there, the bids would have been two, two fifty, three hundred thousand for that building. You know, that's where they would have been. Um, but because there was a problem and nobody knew how to solve the problem, you got a bargain. And as I say, I've done that a number of times since. And that's my passion is actually finding a problem property. How can I do that? And as I say, that's why I came onto the leases. How can I solve this all of a sudden in, out, in, out with ASTs, with managing agents, managing tenants? You know, I don't, again, manage tenants. I always use a, a, a property manager or somebody who will do that for me. So, again, I'm very much an investor, okay? So I'm at that point now of I know where my time and money is best well spent. It's not in managing the day-to-day running off that property. How can I solve that problem to make it easier for me to truly try and get a bit of passive income? And that's taken time. It's taken experience. It's not something you learn overnight. And I think that's a lesson as well, rolling back to when you say about lessons, is I've done this for 15 years. Now, don't get me wrong. I've done it piecemeal for 15 years. So I've done it a small bit every bit along the way. But too many people, and again, I am going to blame social media. I know you obviously have used social media and you are the social media queen, but I am blaming social media for this right now. Social media paints a picture of property investing, that it is an overnight success, that you can plant that seed today and come back tomorrow and you've got a tree. Okay, that is not the case. Every overnight success has got 10, 15 years worth of work behind them. So what I'm what I'm getting at is, I guess, is is... It does take time. Yes, you can accelerate the process if you are 100% in it. So don't look at my 15 years. I could probably do what I did in 15 years in in three to four years if I was 100% into it. And the right deals and the right problems came along. But too many people want it now. And the issue is because of social media, people want it now. They want the result now. They want the, they want the monetary return now. And again, too many people are focused on this monetary return rather than the process. If you don't enjoy the process, if you aren't passionate about the property investing, you will never, ever make it to this monetary goal, this monetary dream. Forget the monetary dream. That's desperation. So too many people reek of desperation. I am desperate. I'm broke. I need some money right now. How can I make money right now to see a social media advert for a property education course? I'm going to go and do that because that's going to make me 10 grand a month. I think people just need to, and I think people are waking up to it. And hence, that was one of the reasons we did Blue Oak, because you can come onto Blue Oak and you can learn those things and you can wheel, teach you that it's, 
it is a slow process, but you can make huge gains very, very quickly as long as they're done with consistency and with that, that time and effort moving forward. Um, but yeah, don't think you're going to be an overnight success in this. In this and game. I think as well, what's been highlighted, obviously, especially in the property property trading era, well, sector, should we say, obviously it's been publicised that things are as they seem. And I think obviously, like you say, people are becoming more wise to that and they're doing a lot more due diligence around who they're giving their money to for this training. Because, you know, there's a lot of people I've spoken to who haven't done a lot, but then they've got, you know, they're doing a lot of property training on a, on a weekly, monthly yeah. basis. And it's, and it's a very, you know, it, again, you know, you, you throw a few... A, you know, a few half dozen good stats up on, on social media, get yourself in people's headspace that like you are the perceived expert, people will buy into that, but it's unethical, okay? And obviously, hence why our open, honest, and ethical founding of Blue Oak. Um, and what I will say is, you know, when it comes to those, there's none of it is, property investing is not rocket science at all. It is not rocket science, okay? There are a few areas that if you, learn it's a step-by-step process okay you know success does leave clues the people who've made it well in this field don't necessarily you know follow what they've done read some books on it educate yourself like i said and and grow yourself as a person because ultimately we're going to business but uh, you're going into business for yourself but what i did say is about you've got to be passionate about this and i harp on about passion a lot because because again i find a lot of people aren't passionate about property okay now I open, so I, like I've said already, so you've got to be passionate about what you're going into business because of the amount of time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears it will take to make it success. If you're not passionate about it, you will bin it off at the first opportunity and you will not give it the time and effort that it deserves to succeed. It's like anything, you know, if you're pushing a car, it is very, very slow to start with, but then once it builds up momentum, it starts to move and that's like growing a business. But if you're not passionate about it and you start pushing that car, you'll stop pushing the bloody thing before it ever builds up that momentum. So you've got to be passionate about it and identify what you are passionate about. Like I said, I ain't passionate about refurbs. I know people in my our community, you know, the likes of, you know, Paul Tinker, Paul Million, those people who are in Blue Oak, passionate about it, put some amazing things up, amazing amount of content in our community about doing refurbs. And those guys, those guys could talk about a brickwork and a, and a, and a render or a, you know, some, freaking tiles till the blue in the face believe me i wouldn't want to have a drink with them to talk about tiles for the evening but they are passionate. <laughs> that is their thing okay yeah what i'm getting at is don't think of property as a whole i'm not pro- passionate about property i am passionate about solving problems i am passionate about you know ensuring there's a win-win situation for the vendor and for me as a business every other aspect about property the refurbs i'm passionate about deal analysis and really analyzing to the nth degree those deals everything else i've accepted i'm not passionate about so i surround myself with good teams of people who are passionate in those little fields so don't come into this and think i am passionate i am you know identify what area you're passionate about because it then allows you to identify the team you need to build around you it's funny you say that obviously me and james work together and our interests are completely different but for our business it works really well because james doesn't want to go find investment he doesn't want to go meet agents but he loves analysing deals to death and he loves the refurb side of it. So for us, that works really well. And it's, you know, for people who probably are struggling at the moment and feel that they are on their own, this is a prime opportunity to maybe put the feelers out of somebody who you can potentially work with going forward and make it a little bit easier. 
And that's exactly it. You know, again, that is about joint venturing with others. You know, there's many, many different arms of joint venturing. And joint venturing may be, you know, I'm not necessarily, you know, a lot of people view a joint venture as a split 50-50, and that's kind of their, their single-minded mindset. A joint venture is, I'm going to use a team to do the refurbs because I'm not passionate about the refurbs. But you can't just outsource that to them because you've got to understand. I also understand, you know, talking about outsourcing again, don't outsource anything until you understand it, okay? Too many people are, are jumping again on the bandwagon of let's oh, out- I'm doing my bloody lettings. Yeah, let's outsource this. Let's get three years. Let's do that. And I- if you're not passionate about it, get it off your plate, but understand it first. Because if you don't understand it, how do you know that they're even doing a good job? Yeah, they may be so, very good at it, but you've got to understand that, that it critically. Um, but also don't let it overwhelm you. Yeah, don't let it overwhelm you. You've just got to kind of sit down and have a bit of strategy planning. Okay, I think works a treat with a lot of people, you know, some big, what I call like high level thinking, the actual strategic level thinking of, what the hell am I doing this for? Okay. And if you can't answer that question, you know, I've got nothing to work with, but that's where I always start. What are you doing this for? If you say to me, I'm doing this because I want to drive that bloody Ferrari. That's fine. Okay. As long as we know that from the outset, if you say I'm doing this because I want to build a legacy for the next three generations. So my kids can inherit it and their kids can, that's fine. It's a different level of planning. But if you can't identify that at the outset, it's very, very difficult to make a plan. And without a plan, you're never going to have that step-by-step process, those goals, those micro goals, those targets that you need to set every month in order to get you to that vision and that dream. And that's kind of, that. it all rolls back down to day one, day one, week one, why are you doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what we try and get out at our kind of our events and things and kind of try and get out with some of our webinars when, we, you know, Paul's doing a goal setting webinar Saturday. Yeah. On Saturday. So he's doing a goal setting webinar on Saturday. So if anybody wants to jump on that, you're more than welcome, you know, jump on the, if, if, yeah. if, we have a, a WhatsApp group for our events, but um, to jump on the WhatsApp group, ask for the link and I'll send you the link. But without that as a starting stepping stone starting point people will then struggle and what happens is people get overwhelmed because they're overwhelmed because all they're seeing is this financial dream sold on social media and they're they're seeing what they perceive as everybody else every one of their peers in the property space doing better than them well that's the social media persona you've got to take it all with a pinch of salt don't get overwhelmed just because you see somebody else getting a two and a half grand booking in their essay what they haven't told you is they haven't had a booking for the previous six months and they're actually And they're bleeding at the at the seams because they're not getting anything. People will tell you all day long about their wins, but they won't tell you about their losses. Yeah. That is well, that brings me on nicely. Have you ever had any property blunders? Yeah, yeah. Many. many. <laughs> <laughs> uh God, right. So I, I think probably um my biggest one again, April, it goes it comes back down to kind of knowing your area and due diligence, complacency, okay? You know, I said about that Coke bottle of the, when I think this coronavirus is all over and I think everyone's just going to rush out. I think because people are going to rush, they're going to potentially neglect to do potentially their, their, their proper due diligence because they want to get, they haven't, they haven't FOMO. They're seeing everybody else buy properties and the property market's seemingly going up, but I think there's going to be a false rise and they might neglect a little bit of due diligence. So roll back to kind of 2000 and, I'm going to go eight off the top of my head. I thought I was the dog's bollocks in property investing. <laughs> I had weighed off. I'd done it down in Somerset. 
I'd done it up in, in Scotland there. I'd got a couple across in North Yorkshire. I thought, ah, dead easy. Got this thing weird off. And I and at that time, um, there was a lot of lot of companies selling off-plan properties. It was very because again, we won this massive rise in the market, developments going on everywhere. Companies, you know, you, your inbox was full even then with with companies selling off-plan properties. And I got this this email from a company offering an off-plan flat in Edinburgh. Uh, it would be £139,000 and it was discounted to 125000 And then if you bought in a certain point, you'd get it for one hundred and twelve. Looked at the rentals in that region, thought, do you know what? And you, at that point, you could do next day valuations, uh, next day remortgages. So, of course, at that point, these these tools are gone now. These The next day valuation, next day mortgages are what kind of created that that crash last time we, we had the property market crash. But in essence, I could buy that property at 112 and the very next day have it valued at 139 and remortgage it the very next day at 139. Okay. They were called next day value, uh, next day remortgages. And I, it was all, you literally, the bank knew what you were doing. So, you, you know, that was with TSB or Lloyd's as it was then. Bought at 112. Lloyd's knew they'd value it again tomorrow. Valued at 139. They'd give me a new mortgage at 139. It was a known thing next day. And as I say, Nobody does it now because obviously that is what created the crash of what went on. Now anyway, they want you inside light measurement. <laughs> you can self-certify as well. So you could self-certify your mortgage application. So you were like, right, I am going to buy this house. Like literally people on 20 grand salaries, uh, this 200,000 pound house here, the, the bank would be like, so what's your, what's your salary? Um, oh, 20,000 pounds. Well, to get a mortgage of this size, it needs to be at least, you know, 55,000. Um, are you earning £55,000, Mr. Smith? Oh, yes, I am now owning fifty-five, And you could self-certify your mortgage. Nobody checked what you were earning. And I'd say, God, the yeah, whole... Yeah. If you don't know the history behind that market crash, it's a really, really interesting interesting study. But let's come back to this flat in Glasgow, uh, flat in Edinburgh. So flat in Edinburgh, happy, I'll have it. You know, have it, seen the brochure, glossy brochure, look lovely, let's have that thing. Anyway, it started going through legals. This company dealt with all the legals. Because I was so complacent, okay? I didn't go up there and look. I didn't even go to Edinburgh, okay? I just thought, I'll have it. So, so complacent. And that was it. Complacency kills. Um, and it wasn't until I actually read in detail a legal document, I saw this postcode. And the postcode was KY it started with. I thought, hang on, Edinburgh surely doesn't start with KY. And uh, obviously, I didn't have an, nobody had iPhones then. So I logged onto the computer, put it in, and it was in Dunfermline. Now, for those of you who know, who know Edinburgh, there's Edinburgh, then there's a river to the north, and then there's a village or a town on the other side of the river called Dunfermline, probably about three or four miles away from Edinburgh city centre. And it's kind of the, it, I don't know, it's kind of the armpit, should we say, of Edinburgh. It's certainly not the Edinburgh flat, which in my head I was buying. And I thought, oh, sorry, I'll have it. And I, and I bought it. So I bought it. Next day, value, so bought it for 112. Next day valuation, next day remortgage, 139. So I had no money in that deal, not a penny. Um, and it rented out rented out 600 quid per calendar month. So I still, and I still own that now. It does me well, but that flat's probably worth about 90 grand, even now. Gosh. Yeah. So I've never remortgaged it. It's on the SVR rate for the bank. I pay very little interest on that because I signed into quite, because I was quite a good customer then of, of that bank. Um, so actually, it does me well. It cash flows me right now. Actually, it's probably worth a hundred. It's probably worth what I paid for it now. Yeah. You know, it's probably worth what I paid for it now. So I could probably sell it, walk away, and have nothing. 
But what was wrong with that? Everything was wrong as far as a property investment was going. There was no due diligence. I was complacent. I was, I was very flippant with my money. And I was flippant with my money because I knew I wasn't going to leave any money in it. And the only reason I wasn't going to leave any money in it is because the banks were just giving it away. If you'd done that now, if I'd been that complacent right now in a property investment deal, I probably would never have any money to invest again. I'd have probably lost it all. That's, you know, I've had, I've had builders go bust on me. I've had all sorts. But that, for me, is one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned. And it was a lesson of complacency, is never, ever get complacent rest in your laurels. And that, I guess, comes back down to the saying I said earlier on, it's better be out of a deal wishing you were in it yeah. than in a deal wishing you out of it. Because at that point, I just was buying... I wanted, you know, my goal that year back then was a property a month. So that was the goal. Let's just, alongside again, full-time employment, let's do a property a month. Um, and in order to do that, I'd become, I'd become complacent. So, I think you do sometimes though, when you, when you say things like that, like, you know, this month I want two properties. I think you kind of just, you're that fixated on actually getting them properties that you forget to do a lot of DD around it. Yeah. You miss figures. Maybe I know a lot of people I've spoken to over the last six months tweak figures to fit. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I say a lot about that is, you know, you know, you've, you know, uh, and again, people put emotion into it. People are like, that's a deal because I love the house. But well, you know that I do. I've done that with a deal. Yeah, we had. Yeah. <laughs> a big deal. You've got to take the emotion out of this. You know, it's, you've got to now. And I guess that having done that and the, 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 when I say the level of due diligence I did on that property, which amounted to probably zero, has probably led over the years to why I now do, you know, a lot more. And I'm very efficient now at, at doing due diligence. And efficient, a lot of people, a, pop, a lot of people get overwhelmed with doing a deal analysis and due diligence. But a lot of it is just practice. And again, use this, if you practice doing a deal due diligence, look back at some deals that you know, people reach out to me and say, give me some numbers on a deal. And if they practice doing that due diligence, it speeds up. So now it speeds up doing the, the real due diligence. Yeah. So I always say, you know, for an area, um, you should know everything there is to know about that area. So when you are analyzing a deal, there should only ever be two variables when you walk into a deal. And the two variables should be the cost of the refurb or the cost of the build works. Okay. Because when you walk into that property, you don't know what that's going to be until you see the internal side of that so a variable is the cost of the, the building and the second one is how long it's going to take because that will affect the cost of finance because yeah. if it takes six weeks that's a different cost of finance to if it takes six months but every other fact every other number in that deal you should know off the top of your head you should know the ceiling price of a property in that area you should know what a done up property that you're viewing will be worth what the tenant demographic is going to be what industry is going to move into that area in the next five years read the, the plan for the five years for your area so all of that knowledge, okay, all of that is done and dusted. That that work has been done, and that should be stored in your head. And that's what I call that about strategic knowledge. So whenever you walk into a viewing now, I walk in, there's only two variables. How long is this going to turn, take the turnaround? How much is it going to cost me to turn around? Because I know what it's going to be worth when it's done. I know how much it's going to rent for. And, you know, so I work, it's all there, two variables. Yeah, and that's just practice. And I encourage everybody, um, I, I do a deal analysis uh, webinar again through Blue Oak quite regularly. I'm going to do it probably again next week to talk about that and talk about it in detail. It was about two hours last time I did it, but it goes through everything because if people have this strategic level knowledge, I call it, which can be done, it takes a long time to do. But once that's done, 
that knowledge only kind of needs to be refreshed, say, every six months, every 12 months, because property prices won't change. Tenant demographic won't change. You know it all. You know the cost of HMO rooms. You know how much they rent out for. That's what I call strategic knowledge. Do all that work now. Store it on a, you know, on a document on your laptop or just learn it. Um, and do that now because we're in lockdown. So when you go back to doing viewings, all you're looking at is how much this is going to cost, how long is it going to take, and know everything else off the top of my head. No, that's really good advice. I mean, when I first started, obviously, you know, you spend so long doing your DD and, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit disheartening, but it's so, so important. And especially, you know, now things might change quite a bit. So you need to revisit that definitely if you're looking to buy, which brings me on to just before we finish, if that's all right, Rich, what are your property predictions for the next six to 12 months? Right. Um, short answer. <laughs> yeah, short, answer. short answer right i think we are going to be we're in a turbulent time right um i think we're going to pop out of lockdown and i think we are going to see a bit of a boom in the market because of that coke bottle analogy okay at the moment there's a lot of deals that have that are, are held in conveyancing there's a lot of deals which people have put offers in the property market supply versus demand okay um, is always going to be in the the demand will be greater than the supply. Okay, people always need places to live. What I think will change. So, what drives property prices is not supply and demand. It's not interest rates. Interest rates are pretty much zero now. It's not that. What drives property prices is the availability of money. How easy is it to get finance? So already in this lockdown, yes, a lot of banks have pulled finance. They've moved. They've gone from seventy five percent LTV down to fifty percent LTV. Is 50% LTV going to become the new 75? I doubt it. I think they will revert back to 75% LTV. But I think the availability of money will be a little bit harder when we pop out of this lockdown. So that's one of the biggest factors. I think the people doing properties for working professionals, okay? At the moment, we haven't, as a country, been hit by unemployment. And that's only because the government's furloughed everybody. So you're sat at home right now, okay? You're getting 80% of your pay, because the government's given it to your company and the company's then given it to you. You're not paying, you're probably taking a mortgage holiday or you might take people taking credit holidays and actually you're getting 80% of your money. Where this, where I see, think we're going to see the bite is when the furloughing stops and the companies realize that actually we can't spool up fast enough. So we're going to have to make some redundancies. That's the point. I think we're going to see a bit of a crunch in the UK uh, economy and a crunch in the UK property market. And I think that'll be three to four months at the after this uh, after this cycle. So that's my prediction. I always say, like I said, Q3, Q4 this year, so back end of this year. But also the government is pumping a lot of uh, stimulus in here, the bounce back loans for those people with companies, things like that. But again, it's false money in a way because they're just printing this money. It's come from nowhere. So that's to, I, I say, I could go on a lot about that. I know, you know, I, I, quite like studying the economics of why you know the cycles and things like that but the crux of it is i think we will see a spike when we come out that's simply because a lot of people are going to be jumping on it we're going to supply 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 people are still going to be employed i do then see a downturn in the property market deal analysis is critical if you if a deal is a deal okay and analyzes correctly you're in it for the long term doesn't matter if you buy it now and accept the fact it's going to drop okay that's fine because you're in it for 20 years that is absolutely fine as long as you analyze it correctly at the front end and you can finance it. That is absolutely fine. I think the thing, 
So my prediction is I think we're going to see a drop in the market. I think negative equity in properties is going to go through the roof. So I think the utilization of creative strategies like lease options, like EDCs, understand those strategies. They're not a they're not a strategy. They're a tool to use in any strategy. You can use a lease option on a buy to let an HMO or an SA. So they're a tool. They're not a strategy standalone, but understand what they are. And again, you know, Andy, uh, my partner, both myself and Andy have done a lot of options. We, we talk quite a lot about them on, on Blue Oak. So I think understand them and learn how to utilize them moving forward. And that'll be options on any type of property. I think the other thing I think where we're going to go and I think people should kind of get their head around is a lot of people are doing very high end properties and to push. And that's fantastic. We should be pushing the standard of of living up, you know, where people live, make nice places, their homes. OK, if you're renting an H, whether it be an HMO or a or a or a three bedroom house, you're making a home for somebody. So it should be of the highest standard. What I think will change is. A lot of people are renting or going into this. I'm renting to young professionals. Okay. I think that market is going to significantly change because I think the young professional market now will move to a lot of people who were once young professionals claiming universal credits because we're going to go through a period of mass unemployment. We are, and people who say we're not have got their head in the sand. So I would say, to understand what universal credit is, it was the old benefit system, the LHA system, to understand what universal credit is, how much um, you can get, and how to utilize the UC system is important. What I always say to people, you know, I said about due diligence and knowing your area. One of the things in my strategic knowledge, park in your head, is to know what the uh, what the LHA rate is for your region. So I know categorically what the LHA rate is in my region for both an HMO room, a one bed and a two bed. So I know it's £82 for an HMO room. I know it's £89 for a one bedroom flat and I know it's £105 for a two bed. That is open source information. That is that is no further than a Google search away. What is the universe? Because that is what, if that person who's in your HMO, your flat, your whatever, becomes unemployed, that's what they will technically be able to claim from the government to pay for that rental. To, to understand that yourself as a landlord, a lot of people say, oh, well, it's a tenant's problem. If they don't pay me, I'll chuck them out. Come on, come on. You know, if you understand that as a landlord, forewarned is forearmed. So I think a lot of these young professionals are going to become unemployed, understand the benefit system, understand the universal credit. Um, and I see from probably January next year for the next 18 months being a a fantastic place to be in the property investing world if you understand options if you understand creative strategies and you understand kind of the the market movements i think we are really going to see a, an area of investing we haven't seen i would say in history if i'm brutally honest i think we'll see a bigger downturn than we saw in 2000 and kind of eight to ten and i was investing in that period i think it'll be of a bigger scale if i'm honest so i would say it's time to get involved. But also bear in mind, those people who are buying now, you should not be scared as long as you've done the due diligence correctly on your property, because you are not in this until next year. You are in this for the next five or 10 years. And if you have a property now and it is finance and you see it drop below what you paid for it next year, do not sell out of fear. You have only made a loss on paper. It will recover. It is a cycle. All of this is cyclical it will come back around again. And you just have to understand that. So I think it's a fantastic time to understand creative options, a fantastic time to, um, to really utilize what you have 
um, yeah. going forward. But I would say popping out of uh, lockdown, I would I would advise sit on your hands. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rich. It's been amazing speaking to you and you give so much value. Everyone at Blue Walk always gives so much value. Um, so thank you so much, Rich. I really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Um, obviously, we, we've got, we're over an hour, so I won't keep you any longer. But if I can answer any questions in the comments or I can refer you to Rich, what I'll do is when the podcast does come out, I'll put all the Blue Oak links in there, um, links to how you can get on involved in the webinars I do, because they are fantastic. I, you know, I, I've been part of a few of them now um, and yeah, 100% value. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. No worries at all. Cool. Let me click us off. Bye, guys.